This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Welcome to the Maples Pavilion at Stanford University. My name is Scotty McLennan, and I'm the Dean for Religious Life. It is a great honor to have His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, here at Stanford today. Our program this morning will include introductory remarks by the university president, John Hennessy, and then a teaching by the Dalai Lama on training the mind. His Holiness will conclude the first part of this morning's program by leading all of us here in a period of meditation. The last 45 minutes or so will be an opportunity for the Dalai Lama to answer questions which have been selected from many that have been submitted through the university webpage for this event. I will come back to the dais here to pose those questions. My colleagues and I in the Office for Religious Life are very grateful that the Dalai Lama has accepted our invitation to speak with us today on matters of religion, spirituality, and ethics. The need for his wisdom in, the, in today's world, be greater. And there is no one I know of with broader and more inclusive vision to teach us. It is now my pleasure to introduce the 10th president of Stanford University. John Hennessy joined the faculty in 1977, and in 1987 was named to an endowed chair in electrical engineering and computer science. A few years before, he co-founded a successful Silicon Valley company which designs microprocessors. He was named as Stanford president in the year 2000. I also know John Hennessy as a man of great personal integrity and deep spiritual engagement. He takes values seriously and has provided discerning and visionary leadership for this university. John Hennessy. Thank you, Scotty. It is indeed my pleasure to join the more than 7,000 people here at Maples and the thousands more who are viewing this program by webcast to welcome back to Stanford His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama. We are truly honored that His Holiness has accepted our invitation to teach at Stanford both today and tomorrow. People throughout our campus and our community have been looking forward to your visit and chance to hear your thoughts. But first, I want to take a minute to recognize the many people who have been involved in making this visit possible. First of all, the Office for Religious Life, led by Scotty McClellan, together with Kathy Jensen, who worked tirelessly to make this event possible. The Stanford School of Medicine, the Aurora Forum at Stanford University, the Asian Religious and Cultures Initiative, the Stanford Center for Buddhist Studies, and of course, Stanford events. So many people have been involved that I would be taking over the program to list all their names. 
So you can look inside the program and see how many people have helped to make this event possible. Please take an opportunity to thank them, thank them whenever you see them. When the Dalai Lama was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1989 for, and I quote, constructive and forward-looking proposals for the solution of international conflicts, human rights issues, and global environmental problems, he referred to himself as a simple monk from Tibet. But he is far more to millions of people around the world. The Dalai Lama was born 70 years ago in a small village in Tibet, the fifth of nine children of a farming family. At the age of two, he was recognized as the 14th Dalai Lama and was installed in the capital of Lhasa two years later. He assumed political leadership of his country in 1950 and struggled to peacefully resist the Chinese invasion of Tibet. In 1959, the same year in which he completed his Jishe degree, a doctorate in Buddhist metaphysics, he led thousands of other Tibetans into exile. Since then, he has lived in Dharmaramsala, India, and there he has led a Tibetan government in exile and worked to preserve the language, religion, history, and Tibetan culture. Today, the Dalai Lama is recognized as a scholar and a man of peace. He is the first Dalai Lama to travel to the West, and over the past four decades, he has visited more than 45 countries. An eloquent, eloquent spokesman for better understanding and respect among the world's many faith traditions, he's made pilgrimages to religious sites worldwide to encourage dialogue and open exchange. He advocates peaceful solutions to conflict based on knowledge, tolerance, and mutual respect. Many institutions and universities have conferred awards and honorary doctorates on His Holiness in recognition of his writings in Buddhist philosophy and his leadership on behalf of global justice. The Dalai Lama's ongoing open-minded curiosity is in large part a consequence of his classical Tibetan education. Such an education includes the five minor subjects of drama, dance and music, astrology, poetry, and composition, and higher education subjects, including the healing arts, Sanskrit, rhetoric, arts and crafts, and religion. The Dalai Lama has recently brought the study of modern physics into the monastic curriculum. In doing so, he makes the interesting point that he is not introducing a new subject, but that he is updating an inherent part of the curriculum. By this, I think he means to say that Buddhist ways of thinking and scientific ways of thinking are very similar. Indeed, this is a key point in his recent book, The Universe in a Single Atom, The Convergence of Science and Spirituality. Today is the first in the series of events with the Dalai Lama at Stanford. In this morning's session on meditation and teaching, we will learn about the ways that daily practice may contribute to the overcoming of ignorance. 
This afternoon, His Holiness will engage in a public conversation entitled The Heart of Nonviolence with the Reverend Scotty McLennan at the Aurora Forum and Haynes Lecture in Memorial Church. Tomorrow, the School of Medicine will host a day-long symposium with His Holiness on the subject of craving, suffering, and choice, spiritual and scientific explorations of human experience. Held in Memorial Auditorium, it will feature a dialogue between the Dalai Lama, neuroscientists from Stanford and other universities, and Buddhist scholars. I should note that each of these is a ticketed event, and there has been a tremendous outpouring of interest. So if you don't have a ticket, please join us in virtual space via the webcast. When the Dalai Lama was asked what he would be if he was not the Dalai Lama, he answered, I would be an engineer. <laughs> now this brings great happiness to the former Dean of Engineering. But while I understand the great attraction that engineering has, and I have no doubt he would have made an excellent engineer. For example, it's well known that he enjoys tinkering with watches and mechanical devices. I think we would all agree that would have been the world's great loss. Please join me in welcoming His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, to Stanford University. So, thank you. <laughs> I think in order to speak more more comfortably, at first, let me sit more comfortably. Nyanda 
President John Hennessy, Reverend Scotty McLennan, distinguished members of the faculty of the university, students, and brothers and sisters. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me to have this opportunity to spend this time together with you this morning. And I would like to express my deep appreciation at the beginning for giving me this opportunity. Perhaps uh, uh, you may know that my usual way uh, meeting with people completely informal. Uh, I don't care what kind of formality. I, I think the very purpose of meeting is uh, connection or contact person to person. So formality sometimes become additional barrier. So I don't like the formality. Uh, so I just uh, talk uh, with you as a like a meeting with a long-time friend. And actually, I believe uh, we are same human being. On that level, no differences, Easterner or Westerner, or Tibetan or American, and also no differences, people who have belief or who have no belief, and believe this religion or that religion, these are secondary. The important is we are uh, the same human being. Uh, physical level, basically we are the same. Because of that, our mental function also same, and emotions also same. Uh, and then basically, one common thing to everyone, not only human beings, but also entire ascendant beings, or entire sort of the living thing, all have a right to exist without disturbances. Even plants have certain right to grow, to sustain, and to die peacefully. So then, all beings uh, who have not only life, but also have the feeling of experience or cognitive way. Do she? Uh, perceptions and consciousness. Uh, all have the same right to exist, to survive. And then, uh, since those sentient beings, we call sentient beings, who have the experience of pains and pleasure, and then we have, I think, some special right, that is uh, to achieve happiness, satisfaction. Uh, 
Therefore, everyone has right to overcome suffering, pains. So I often believe the basic goal or aim of life is happiness, satisfaction. I think reason uh, may be too simple, but I believe that our existence very much based on hope. Once one individual who completely lost their hope, then that very attitude shortened their life. In some cases, obviously, because completely sort of lose their hope and self-confidence, then suicide also is to take place. And although there is no guarantee about the future, future is something open, uncertain. But we believe on the basis of some hope. So we lead our life, go like that. I think my own kids, uh, now 70 year old, over 70 year, uh, of course the difficulties, problems, always there, but without losing hope. Oh, uh, uh, these, these difficulties uh, will overcome, will overcome, I'll go like that. <laughs> now 70 years passed. <laughs> so still there is no reason, you see, to give give up hope. Because I believe uh, we have this marvelous intelligence. With help of this intelligence, we also have certain positive potential. Uh, I, I think what is that? Uh, good potential within, within us. So, uh, our life remains Hope something good. So therefore, I believe uh, our goal of living being is something comfortable, something happiness. <coughs> so that's the basic thing. According that, accordingly, Ravata, accordingly, all our activities and also I think all evolutions or change for better, whole human history comes because of that. Other animal, because their uh, intelligence is very limited, even though some have may intelligence, so even that very limited compared with human being. So therefore, uh, uh, their uh, the progress, right? The consumer that are lots I am going to all you want to have with Sajam Jitwa. And to me, long Bundaka Jitna, all the shoes you want to do. Carisman of intelligence. Nigalo, you want to daddy, Dawan Deva, the Tumim, and Divi, somebody ever inside you want to do. If you look at the history of uh, evolution of species, um, human beings on the one side and uh, non human animals on the other, uh, 
Although the fundamental nature of aspiring for happiness and wishing to overcome suffering is the same, the difference is we human beings are equipped with a faculty of intelligence, the degree which animals do not have. Therefore, if you compare the history of the development of human species on the one hand and animals on the other, the, the rapid progress, the rate of progress you see in the human development is much greater. And it's, it's primarily because of our intelligence, the faculty of intelligence. So both cases, uh, because of the desire. I think the other plants also use some evolution. These are mainly due to environment sort of the factor. Then uh, this, those sentient beings who have the consciousness or mind, experience of, pain uh, experience of pains and pleasure. So not only external environment, but also within themselves, you see, there is some kind of mover. With that mover moves according to their sort of capacity. So things are changing. So therefore, now we are in the 21st century. I think our ancestors, they also have the same desire, same, same nature. So they move, they carry some movement to further develop. So I think today's, they our life comparatively much more easier. So all these comfortable sort of situation brought by the, their effort. So suppose we, present generation, the, we, we are supposed to, see, to create or to bring better world for future generation. Isn't it? Certainly we are not come this or not exist. If, if our existence in this planet uh, becoming more troublemaker rather than making a better world, I think then I think very unfortunate. So well, at least next, I think, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a few millions of years may remain like this, or at least a few hundred thousands. So much depends uh, mainly human species sort of behavior, activities. I think much now uh, becoming much more important uh, important role, and particularly with modern technology. So, if ourselves, you see, they carry wrong, uh, wrong direction, our behavior becoming more careless and becoming more wrong way, then, although they, I think, the whole planet there is sort of, I mean, the life of the planet, there is limitation. In any case, uh, now, if our behavior due to negligence, due to ignorance, due to, I think, less of, less, less of 
sense of responsibility, then the life of the, this planet may shorten. So, the <coughs> I always feel uh, 20th century uh, seems, I think, uh, one of the most, I think almost, I think, the most rare, the most century, uh, uh, important century in human history. The, within the 20th century, it seems uh, attitude, or I think attitude of human being, an early part of 20th century and later part of 20th century, it seems to see much positive change. Uh, that not necessarily come from uh, prayer, prayer or meditation, but because of our intelligence or our experience, or I think the, I think awareness, new awareness, uh, on the basis of our own experience. Uh, within that century, in early part of early part, I think a lot of other destructions, like First World War, Second World War, and then fam famines, and civil wars, I think too much bloodshed, too much problem, too much suffering, too much man-made suffering. So as a result, later part of the 20th century, humanity becoming more mature. So look, now today, uh, every part of the world, there are people who really speaks about the importance of environment and speaks about human rights, speaks about the right of self-determination and the right of animal, animals. All these are, I think, uh, the sign of positive change. One time, <coughs> I was in England the, around, I think, 1996. Nine, nine, uh, <coughs> uh, at that time, I found opportunity uh, ha having audience with uh, Queen Mother, late Queen Mother, then her own uh, age, uh, 96. So, uh, when I met him, met, met her. <laughs> I created Queen Mother become male. Right? <laughs> so, please careful when you listen my broken English. Uh, I, I may use wrong words. Right? So, his, uh, without his help, I think I made always mistakes. Uh, but meantime, uh, although his English, of course, perfect, much better than me, but the voice seems my voice is better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, when, when he speak, I just felt, oh, the sound of his speak, whether male or female. <laughs>
<coughs> so, so in any way, <coughs> so then I asked her, not him. <laughs> uh, since she noticed the whole, the whole century, then uh, whether world becoming better or not. Without hesitation, she told me, world becoming better. Reason, uh, when she was young, in England, uh, nobody talks about uh, human rights or right of self-determination. She mentioned these two things. Now, uh, she noticed these concepts are becoming universal concept. She told me like that. And then I think what important is the, the peace movement. I think the desire for world peace. I think really gaining very some much much strength recently about Iraq crisis about to happen. Then how many people from Australia up to America, how many people come out and express their, uh, what's the day, desire for peace? I think wonderful. <coughs> and the environment issue. Now, even if some political parties, but mainly the ecology sort of idea, now these things now happen. So therefore, uh, I think the 20th century really turned red, transformed. So now suppose we are particularly the young people uh, here, uh, many, many young students. Uh, uh, now you are, I think they uh, really the people who, who, who will be shaping future. I belong the 20th, 20th century. Now we are ready to say goodbye. So the youth, you, you are really uh, the generation who carry uh, main responsibility in the, in the rest of the, uh, the 21st century. So as I mentioned earlier, future is open. Anything can be possible, but then much depends on our own behavior. Our, our activities, with the help of human intelligence, better knowledge, right? knowing, knowing the reality. Actually, I think the education main purpose of education is awareness, the reality. So we need education in order to know the reality because there is often differences, appearances and reality. So unless you investigate, unless you educate, uh, it is dangerous to take for granted reality, what, what what appears. That's the rest. Right. Okay, 
or damper. Then we may act with that accordingly. But that much sort of action uh, you, you've done during that period, later you feel you regret. Regret. That shows that the person, uh, yourself, a normal way, do not want to carry such sort of uh, action. But because of certain period, your mind dominated by some effective emotion. So there are normal mental functions no longer uh, working properly. So therefore, uh, all sorts of unwanted things then express or do. So it's very clear. So sometimes I lose my temper and use some harsh word. Then later I feel a little shy. So that means I do not want you see, to use such a harsh word. But because at that moment my mind more my mind controlled more by the negative emotion. So can't see the reality, cannot judge properly. So uh, and then another thing. Once effective emotion develop, uh, then your mind becoming very narrow. That also, I think, if it if it analyzed properly, that also one factor. When once you see negative emotions is developed, then the whole sort of uh, focused one single narrow field. So during that moment you cannot see the more holistic picture. So normal way, we can see, ah, because of this happened, because of that, this happened. Because of that, that happened. Because of that, that happened. We can see. There's possibility to see that. That's a holistic picture. Raka. Wider picture. But when, once we, uh, uh, our mind dominated by, negative effective emotions such as strong attachment or pride or jealousy or anger then uh, you can't see that just one uh, see one just one element because I think the negative emotion sort of nature the strong repulsion where so if you uh, analyze the, um, the actual experience, the mechanism of how these afflictive emotions arise, uh, what you see is, in fact, these negative emotions are very uh, uh, strong expressions of repulsion or attraction to a given uh, object. And in these kind of situations, um, uh, it, it, it presupposes the object or the person to which you relate to it as being some kind of independently real uh, absolute object. So therefore, the negative emotions are actually uh, actually uh, I think uh, worst kind of I think 
So I think you, you can experiment. You have uh, sort of uh, sufficient awareness sort of all these sort of, uh, uh, human activities, sort of chain reaction. So if I make uh, good friendship with this person, then that sort of effect uh, through that way, I may develop uh, good relations with that person, that person, that person. Through that way, now for example, I may get more better promotion or better salary, better job, more successful life. Or uh, through that way, I may find uh, good uh, for male, uh, good girlfriend, or the uh, female or good boyfriend through that connection. And that kind of, you see, they sort of, they sort of the calculation uh, through normal way. But in spite of that, or the full knowledge about these sort of chain reactions, uh, cause and effect. But if you lose temper or too much attachment, then during that moment, you can't see these uh, or cause and, cause and effects of relations. So just a single, single, single object where you too much attachment or too much hatred. Just see the single spot. You can see. So therefore, one of the greatest obstacles in order to see the reality is these negative emotions, effective emotions. So therefore, it is not sufficient uh, to put every our effort just education or information. Uh, but in order to utilize that information, that knowledge, more, more effectively, your basic mind should be calm, more peaceful. So the calmness of the mind more peaceful of the mind will not come through prayer, through faith. Occasionally, some people, yes, but generally not. Even meditation, so-called meditation, uh, uh, some good meditationer, uh, med meditator, uh, meditator, if you disturb them, <laughs> then they immediately lose their anger. <laughs> <laughs> so, meditation alone uh, may not bring calmness of mind. <laughs> uh, so, meditation, some, yeah, I think in certain sense, I think generally speaking, meditation is something like restful, restful of the mind for a certain period. After that, not much effect. So, so therefore, the real thing is usually I call analytical meditation. 
analyze, analyze. Not necessarily sit like this and close your eye, half sleep, half meditation. Oh. <laughs> oh, yesterday, after a long flight from India to Japan, then spent a few hours in Japan, some rest. And then from Japan, uh, here, uh, long flight. So yesterday afternoon, uh, while I carry some my meditation, and often go like that. <laughs> so I think that kind of meditation is, I think, the best part of meditation, half sleep, half meditation. <laughs> so that quite Katoda, restful, <laughs> restful. <clears throat> so, so the awareness about our mind in order to see Kathoda, right, in order to see the reality, in order to carry your knowledge more Kathoda, uh, more effective way, much depend on your own motivation or your own Kathoda, uh, state of mind. So awareness that. Then should have more serious sort of watching way. So, so, so some some normal So it is important to, based on this understanding, to try to pay more attention to uh, finding a way of keeping the stability of the mind. So that much, I think I want to to share with you, young people, your life, I think very fresh, and I think you have the full of enthusiasm or determination to learn more and to lead, to have happier life, happier future. So at that time, if you only take concern about external things, completely neglect about our inner value, then your life will not be happy one. It's quite clear. Money, power will not be full guarantee of your happy life. And your mere knowledge also will not be guarantee, right, best guarantee for your happy life. Some of my friends, among my generation, older people, who may be billionaire, very rich, uh, and very good education, like I think the great educationist, or some uh, chancellor, or some professor like that. But the person, himself or herself, sometimes very unhappy person. So that means their knowledge, their money, their power, their influence, influence uh, will not provide them genuine inner peace of mind or inner satisfaction. So therefore, if uh, here young brothers, sisters, 
just think about education, about money, about fame, or these things. These are secondary of the secondary factor of your happy life. The main thing is inner value. I think this is through my own little experience. I can share you. Uh, I can I can tell you the inner peace, inner in a certain mental attitude, mental concept, there are. Then, external things may not much effect on your inner peace. Through that way, uh, you can handle more effectively, more realistically about the problem. So, that, uh, so therefore, younger generation, the long future, expecting you, 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 you could make some contribution for a better future. So, uh, think all these sort of options were, uh, external sort of the facilities, and internal potential. Think more, analyze these things. Now here, the in order to less uh, affect the emotion, right? In in order to uh, reduce this uh, affect the emotion. Firstly, important to have awareness. and the harmfulness of these emotions, which I mentioned already. Uh, then, then, secondly, uh, you have to make some effort to promote some of the, uh, some of the uh, emotions which actually opposition of these effective emotions. That is, we know, Passion and spirit of uh, forgiveness, uh, tolerance, contentment, self-discipline. These are the opposing force, opposite force, opposite force of these effective emotions. The opposite, no, the effective emotion, as I mentioned earlier. Creates an so obstacle to see the reality. Those positive emotions, generally speaking, will not be opposition to see the uh, obstacle, obstacle of the uh, seeing reality. Because the effective emotions actually based on ignorance. The opposite force, such as compassion, forgiveness, these are not based on ignorance. So, make differences. Right? Make differences. Right? There is differences. So, actually, more compassionate mental attitude, 
since there is no sort of kazuda, no element of seeing kazuda, since there is no obscuration to seeing reality, uh, so it's much easier to see the reality and also wider perspective. I think that's very clear, very clear. Uh, so I think one of the beauty of uh, compassionate attitude is one of the beauties of these positive emotions such as compassion is that uh, when you experience them, uh, not only is there uh, a sense of joy within the individual, but there is also a degree of calmness and serenity, and, and also your per perception of the other will be in a much more constructive and, and positive light. <coughs> so the uh, usually I call defection or warm-heartedness. These are basic human values. Because these are not necessarily come from faith. Because, you see, these, uh, right from the uh, birth, you see, the affection towards one's own mother, then at that time, I think the first day of birth, we have no idea about mother. But by nature, some kind of closeness feeling is there. I think that uh, affectionate sort of emotion or experience is the basis of our uh, life. So at that time, no religious faith. So religion come from come later. So these mental element is mental qualities of human being. Well, not only human beings, but also the other animals also. So those animals uh, whose survival depend on others' care, then this element, by nature, these elements there. I often used to telling people, like some butterfly, or moth, or I think some turtles, uh, no relation, no, no, no contact, uh, their offsprings and their mother. Mother just lay down the egg, then left. No possibility to reunion or contact. So their offspring's survival entirely uh, by themselves, not depend on someone else's care. So I don't think they have the capacity to show closeness feeling between mother and their offspring. Then, then other, particularly based on milk, there, by nature, uh, some sort of today, uh, some feeling which bring together intensely closeness, closeness feeling, affection. So we human beings basically 
social animal. Therefore, affection brings together. Anger are separate. So since our basic sort of nature is social animal, so the emotion which bring together that's more important, more relevant than the fight or separate. So therefore, these uh, uh, positive emotion, basically, I believe, uh, part of human nature and part of uh, the uh, good quality because these are uh, very helpful to survive, to sustain our inner, uh, inner satisfaction. So, so usually I call these are uh, the human value and, and knowing that and some kind of effort to promote these are uh, secular ethics. Nothing to do with religion. Of course, various religious traditions, because of these are basic human value, basic human good quality. Therefore, all major religious traditions uh, talks about these values. Whether theistic religion or non-theistic religion, all carry message of love, compassion, forgiveness, tolerance, uh, self-discipline, contentment, so on. And brotherhood, sisterhood, all major religious traditions, you see, talks of these things, same way. Although there is some differences because of the philosophical sort of viewpoint, there are, the, there are some other different presentations, but basically the same message. So if we have uh, some belief, then it is very good. Uh, once you accept one particular religion, uh, then utilize that religious faith in order to increase these basic good quality and share with more people, your immediate friends, and through that way, more larger communities. Uh, on that way, through that way, naturally, uh, we will develop. We will have closer relations with other traditions. I think that's important. Actually, the America, I think modern America now, becoming more and more like uh, multiracial, multicultural, multi-religions. Uh, so their uh, respect to all major traditions is very essential. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, different name of different religions sometimes causing uh, some problems. That's really unfortunate. So, uh, so here is two two things. I, I my main sort of uh, point uh, is not only look external thing, but also look more inward values, more combined. Modern education, right? Modern education and inner, uh, inner development. 
whether believe whether uh, through uh, yes in a, in a development. Then, in order to uh, develop inner value, there are two ways. One, secular ethics awareness, well, secular ethics approach, and religious uh, approach to things. So once you uh, follow through religious approach, then they, uh, well, of course, faith towards one's own religion, but respect to all the religious traditions. I am Buddhist. I have full faith about Buddha Dharma. But meantime, I also have full respect to full respect with admiration or appreciation to all major religious traditions. All these major religious traditions in the past and present in the future also, I think it's serving, helping towards millions of human beings. That's reality. I mean, we must accept the reality. Whether you see different view or different concept. Second is important. But important is serving. Effective serving service to humanity. So there's sufficient reason to respect. So that's about my talk, the inner value uh, and religious harmony. Then the according to program, some meditation. So now here, meditation, uh, firstly, the, I mean, this, my, my talk gives you some kind of material of analytical meditation. So think more, analyze more, and experiment by yourself in daily life. Particularly when you face some quarrel with your friends or your classmate, your classmate, or some your friend, or some some your friend, then when negative emotion about to come, think, watch it. That's the way to educate yourself. Now here, uh, meditation, there are basically two kinds of meditation. Uh, one meditation, single-pointed mind. Take one object, sometimes even just uh, uh, look one's own mind. That's more difficult, but sometimes quite interesting to find out where is I? Where is self? We always say I, 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 I. But uh, we never sort of, sort of observe, uh, observe. But now in the, section of, in the section of meditation, try to investigate where is I? Outside this body? No. Must be here within. And where? Here? Here? Yeah, 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 where? I don't know. Uh, so, that also quite interesting. Then another kind of meditation. Think about loving kindness and visualize now some of these, the victims from earthquake, uh, 
uh, or in Africa, starvation. All these poor people, poor children, with images of malnourished children that we see on television of Africa where the mother is trying to nurse the child but has hardly anything but nothing but a skin. Uh, visualize these things. Then also in uh, some area, the people who suffer under man-made sort of disaster, very sad. One sort of limp rest of the body, uh, sort of a um, you know, uh, the people with limbs that are cut. Uh, and imagine they are relatives, they are friends, I think. Uh, but it's too much worry, rest, mm. too much pain. Then also the animals. Now the so-called what they bird flus away. But flu. Well, firstly, we human beings create a lot of animals. Then something goes wrong, some dangers appear, then mercilessly it is killing, destroying you. Now this is sad. So, visualize these things. And then try to cultivate genuine sense of concern. Or uh, sometimes you see the visualized uh, from Buddhist Buddha or uh, Christian Jesus Christ or Mary or Christ. And then some Muslim uh, visualize Mecca temple and think about one God, one single God, Allah, like that. So, yesterday uh, we have some discussions about meditation. So, uh, one, one suggestion for 20 minutes, 20 minutes meditation. Or even this morning, also just before coming here. And then I, I told, oh, sometimes is it 20, 30 minutes, even me, also too long. <laughs> so, you see, uh, some of my Christian friends, uh, one small organization, Re. Uh, I think John Major, Re. John Main sort of. Uh, it's, it's a group of, uh, founded by John, Father John Main. Is it uh, in their tradition? Is it at least every day, 30 minutes sort of meditation, silent meditation? So I often join with them. So 30 minutes without moving, without coughing, something like that. Sometimes I also used to find little difficulties. Hmm? You know, when after 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and some itching here, <laughs> here, <laughs> sometimes it's a coughing like that. <laughs> so, so I think I can imagine, you see, young student, very active way. Uh, so I think 20 minutes may be too long. So maybe five minutes, okay. <laughs> so variety of the way of meditation, variety. Uh, so the looking eye, where's eye? That's analytical meditation. 
then some analytical sort of approach, then finally focusing on just think about sense of concern towards the suffering sentient beings, including human beings, like that. Or faith, God, or Buddha, like that. So, now let us meditate. Now those people who have some interest about meditation, then think these things. And if you have uh, some, of, some of those who have not much interest, then as I mentioned before, just rest. <laughs> and and maybe some sleep. But if you uh, take this opportunity for sleep, then you should not because of snot, sorry. No. Uh, snot, sorry. No. Uh, snow. Uh, <laughs> that may disturb uh, <laughs> your, neighbor. Your, your, neighbor. Uh, your neighbor. So otherwise, silence, peaceful sleep, that's no, no problem. Good. Thank you. Now, five minutes.
Thank you. So now, some questions. Your Holiness, there were many questions that came to us on our webpage, and unfortunately, we're only going to be able to ask a few of them. But let me start with the question of what question you are asked most frequently, and why. Best said Shaiburi. Quite often, one of the most asked questions is, "What is the best, you know, method to do this or do that?" Uh, that sometimes irritates me <laughs> <laughs> because you know, uh, very difficult to say best. Uh, then I think the best uh, seems the best, quickest then cheapest, <laughs> easiest, <laughs> then no answer. <laughs> I, I think uh, some people, particularly those lazy people, you see, do not want more hard work, so they want cheapest, easiest, quickest, best, like that. <laughs> uh, well, another question actually uh, that was asked is what is the best thing oh, about that, uh, being <laughs> the Dalai Lama? Best, I don't know. I think there are, of course. Uh, some better opportunities can serve more people uh, then also I think there are uh, some better opportunity to accumulate virtues by myself but uh, not only talk like compassion not only word but also the responsibility to uh, to, to implement some extent. Uh, then perhaps I think not only in Dalai Lama, but also Nobel laureate, it's sometimes uh, easier to meet some kind of the cautious people. Uh, before Nobel laureate, oh, one time the Bishop Tutu, uh, of course my close friend, uh, not only a spiritual brother, but also a very, very jovial way, very jovial. I think one story. Recently, uh, some filmmaker they interviewed some Nobel laureates, including Bishop Tutu. And Bishop Tutu, my lunch kusha, Jawaharlal Mishibir kasi chumbresa. So Bishop Tutu sent a message to these uh, uh, television people who are making the documentary on Nobel laureates. But the chajine bes sinerities are yours. In chajine Mishibir kasi res. So the Bishop Tutu sent a message to them asking His Holiness that why, um, you know, on the, one, on the one hand, 
the Dalai Lama has this great serenity. But on the other hand, why, where does this mischievousness come from? <laughs> <laughs> then, then I replied <laughs> to, to the same kind of that. Uh, uh, same television people <laughs> as far as with us. Serenity is concerned, that belongs to me. But the mischievous, my part of some mischievous, just not, not because of that, uh, not by myself, but because of you. <laughs> 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 Whenever we met, you see, he always you see, teasing me, and also I responded accordingly, <laughs> so I become mischievous in front of him. <laughs> <coughs> so in any way, once he told me, uh, before he received Nobel Peace Prize, uh, sometimes he difficult to meet some people who want, uh, I mean, he want to meet. But after you see Nobel Peace Prize, then uh, he finds it much easier to meet some of these uh, people. So I think some extent to me also, you see, some, uh, some of that, some, some easier way, like that. Next question. What, <laughs> what is the most significant obstacle that you have had to overcome on your own path to spiritual enlightenment? I think, uh, I think this, as I mentioned before, you see, we are uh, same, sort of same, sort of that, the same or mentally or emotionally or physically, uh, as I mentioned before. But like any other uh, genuine practitioner, sort of difficulty, me too also, you see, some of these difficult emotions. Uh, even in spite of knowing these are harmful, but because of the one by one, we only uh, because of habituation, uh, habituation. Uh, then, then perhaps my case, I think, anyway, because of Dalai Lama's name, the no sufficient time for certain, uh, certain practice. Like a, uh, like a meditation. Sometimes you need complete isolation and no other work, just 24 hours, some screen seeker. Kind of a systematic, prolonged, ongoing development. But that part I cannot do. So just one, one obstacle. As a, a spiritual practitioner, like that. If Our I could ask, ask a follow-up um, from having read your autobiography where you talked about your own uh, Buddhist studies as a young man and also your study of English as a young man, you in a very uh, humble way explained that you wish you'd taken more time when you'd had it with your Buddhist studies mm -hmm. and with your uh, studies of English, that you were having some fun along the way, um, and that uh, you wish you'd applied yourself more. Do you have advice to us about how to live a balanced life of 
enjoying yourself, but also speaking to students here at Stanford University and how to take their studies seriously at this time that they're able to do so. According to my own experience, when I study at a very young age, and then they, without, and because they did no awareness the value of this study, uh, importance of this study. So then I just feel uh, a sort of burden, no interest. So therefore, uh, my tutor, as I mentioned yesterday, my tutor kept one weak breath. <laughs> so at that time, you see, my, uh, my elder brother, immediate elder brother now, no longer, uh, he passed away. Mm. So my brother and, and myself, you see, we two students. So my tutor have two whips. One whip, yellow color. That's for Dalai Lama. <laughs> one ordinary whip. So he always keep his side way. That's to him. Uh, so he occasionally, you see, look that way. <laughs> so, so that means I'm lazy, no interest about study. So uh, need some kind of little force, force <laughs> rest, uh, like that. So then eventually, the more awareness about the value of the study, then, uh, because of enthusiasm, as a result of awareness, come, then study, no difficulties. Now at now age, now uh, over 70 years, I always, whenever I have opportunity or time, I always read and think, analyze, uh, study, mainly Buddhism. Now the, uh, my English actually I think the, my uh, the, the study English is, I think, disgrace, right? Disgrace. I think I started, uh, which year you, you born? 58. <laughs> huh? 58. Oh, 58. So my study of English started before this, uh, this person's <laughs> birth. So I study, uh, I think, 19... Uh, 47, 47, 48, I already started learning English. So then one, uh, uh, after 1959, I came to India and spent one year in Dharmsal, in Mussoorie. The government of India appointed one uh, teacher from one of the uh, government school uh, to teach me English. Swamiji was saying that he remembers actually telling um, on several occasions that he was not around <laughs> before the class. <laughs> not much enthusiasm. <laughs> then later, uh, they one government of India sort of, liaison officer at my place, one 
uh, Indian or from Kerala on Christian. Uh, his English is perfect, very good. So he volunteered uh, to, to, to teach me English. So he quite a stubborn rat, quite a stubborn. And daily he came on at that time. So I little. So his mood was saying that uh, on several occasions he felt quite annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> but he really helped me. Uh, but then, then he transferred. Then, then I got more freedom. <laughs> so later, you see, some my friend, you see, uh, suggested to me I should improve my English. Then I felt, okay, in any case, I will find some translator. Then doesn't matter. Uh, like that. Now, now already, uh, give up, give up, study English. Okay. So is that clear now for our students? <laughs> so, so the point is, your awareness, the importance of study, knowledge. That's important. <laughs> Once you develop that, then even your meal time, uh, any time, you concentrate your mind on some of the special points. So, so that's important. Awareness. Once this comes, then enthusiasm from within comes. Then time passes very easily. Like that. There were a number of questions uh, that we were that were submitted to us about meditation. So I'd like to ask you some of them. One of them was uh, from a person who said they were a Buddhist student, uh, a beginning Buddhist student in the Tibetan tradition. And this person said, I often get overwhelmed by the number of different Tibetan meditations. Could you please suggest one specific method which you feel would help somebody who doesn't have access to a Lama? Yes, there are a uh, lot of varieties, uh, but all these varieties, I myself don't know. It's so difficult to, to say. Uh, but I have the view, uh, sometimes I think in a Tibetan tradition, I think there are so many branches, so many sort of variety. These are actually branches. So. I think some uh, critical view about our, our tradition, Tibetan tradition, I think sometimes we too much emphasis on the branches, meanwhile forgetting about the root. I think that's our mistake. So now time has come. We must go to the root of our tradition. So that's usually I describe Nalanda tradition, Nalanda tradition. Uh, uh, one, uh, I think the Sanjil Kudusware, Sanjil Kuduri, Nalanda, uh, third century, fourth century, uh, I think around that period, one monastic institution we called Nalanda. The many students from that institution eventually become great masters of Buddha Dharma, particularly Sanskrit tradition. So 
still now, their writing is the foundation of Buddha Dharma. So therefore, the uh, uh, example you see, they, when my tutor kept the whip, uh, I actually used to start study by heart, learning by heart. You see the root text, which written by those Nalanda masters. So that's I think very very important. So I think if you are serious, not serious, then my answer is also not serious. But if you are very serious, then my answer will be, you should study those the Nalanda masters sort of root text. No matter how difficult it is, you must study these things. Then, firstly, you should get the whole picture of Sanskrit Buddhist tradition. Whole structure, right? Framework. Framework. Then you will get real interest or real enthusiasm. Then the, the particular meditation to Then one's able to choose whatever specific meditation techniques or practices that may be more applicable. These are then easier, not important. But the important is the knowledge, full of knowledge about Nalanda traditions. That's important. Tibetan tradition is actually pure tradition of Nalanda. Yes. Is there a need to meditate if you are already at peace? Now that is a uh, depend on the purpose of the meditation. If your purpose of main meditation, uh, main purpose of meditation is just uh, to get rid of mental stress, because of mental mental disturbances, then okay. No longer much of the mental stress, uh, mental disturbances, then okay. But the, uh, for Buddhist or for Christian, uh, or any other sort of the, what is the believer or religious practitioner, then of course the aim is not only present peace of mind, but also the in the future uh, heaven or the, at the final judgment, uh, some uh, positive result. And, and Buddhism, like some other ancient Indian tradition, they, we accepted life after life. So therefore, the purpose of the meditation is uh, long future. And as a Buddhist, the final sort of our aim, goal is oneself to become a Buddha. So that's the purpose of the meditation. So therefore, meditation, not only this life, but life after life, we have to carry this deeper meditation uh, practice then gradually our mental level, mental spiritual level, then improves like that. Can you meditate while doing another activity like gardening, washing the dishes, or house cleaning? That depends on your experience. Once you have the yam yam yao chumba yena, and I think lugi, I think chachu jitani, chiki chiki le semne yam kumya jindi, yong tukuru. 
through the teaching of meditation without being overly proselytizing. That is, how can one help other people to change without preaching to them that they should change? Now here, I think one example, the, uh, in Sanskrit tradition, in Buddhist, uh, uh, so within the uh, Sanskrit Buddhist tradition, there are different uh, philosophies uh, which uh, taught by Buddha himself. So that indicates the Buddha respect different mental disposition among his own same disciples, right, followers. So therefore, the, as a Buddhist, the deep-built-chambe-tane, So for the Buddhist, the fact that Buddha taught different philosophies to his own followers, uh, must be taken as an indication that outside the Buddhist world there must be so many different diverse mental dispositions among human beings. So therefore, uh, firstly, we must respect the other's right, then other's mental disposition. Therefore, uh, the help in spiritual field according to their own other uh, desire or interest. Uh, so I did one uh, example. When I accepted invitation from John, John Main's uh, uh, group in England from their center to teach them uh, gospel. Selected passages from the four uh, gospels. Uh, so I went there, uh, carried, what's it, a, a teaching uh, from the gospel, certain sort of sentences from the gospel. Uh, so that means, actually, uh, I think, strictly speaking, from the Christian viewpoint, I'm non-believer. So, look strange, a non-believer, and explain to the audience about God. Uh, so I really try my best. Oh, there is God. There is Creator. Because of such, 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 such reasons. So, so that not out of my own interest or my own belief, but because of their belief, I really want to help them. So at that time, I had little because of that. Uh, uh, hesitate, uh, hesitate, and also a little afraid. I should not disturb their faith, uh, undermine their faith. So I took maximum sort of caution. Uh, should not speak some kind of today self-creation. Uh, so later they very much enjoyed my talk. 
So my teaching helped their faith towards God increase. So one, one occasion in Harvard University also, I gave some Buddhist teaching, and one Christian minister, I think one lady, said later she came to me, and after listening my sort of Buddhist explanation, uh, her uh, understanding about God now much clearer, much, she found much useful. So, uh, so the point is, we must respect others' sort of interest or others' right. So, should not force conversion. That I think I always say, uh, disagree. The conversion, a false conversion. So recently, I was in Italy. Uh, one response to one reporter about this. I, I, I mentioned according my belief. So the next day, one local Italian newspaper, a little disturbed, uh, uh, a little critical, little critical about my comment. Because they believe the conversion is something service to God, like that. Right? Next question. <laughs> Would you advocate genetically engineering human beings to have less craving and therefore to suffer less? Or is it better to combat craving through active use of your own will? This is a very difficult question. Basically, of course, through some change, through genetic sort of genetic motivation, uh, uh, if some uh, the change human mind as a better human being, and theoretically speaking, oh, good, nice, without much effort, if something change here, then become better human being, then no need meditation, no need self-discipline, no need education, <laughs> just as you go like that, it is very good. Uh, <laughs> But now the question is, uh, in order to, uh, in order to uh, uh, carry that work, too much sort of experiment on life where that's uh, not problem. That's problem. And even is it the medical field? Is it too much sort of experiment on animal? Uh, sometimes I think go extreme. Then I think that also uh, we should uh, we should feel some concern. So a few occasions, you see there, uh, 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 on several occasions, I've actually expressed my concern that even in the field of medical science, um, you know, with the, the question of experimentation on animals, if it goes too extreme, then that should also be a matter of concern for the community. On cruelty, uh, sometimes. Oh, looks very, very sad. Then one occasion, I noticed one BBC, I think the, uh, uh, the television report. Uh, although this is not real, you see the uh, one picture, uh, some something like semi-human being. A computer simulation. Oh, 
in order to use their organs for human beings. Picture, uh, that, that kind of thing, I think, too, uh, too extreme. Opponents were saying that he saw this computer simulation of a possibility of creating semi-human beings for harvesting um, the organs and so on. And they are recognizable human features, but that immediately created a sense of deep unease and, uh, and, and sadness. So this, uh, this question, I think, very, very complicated. Uh, if go extreme, both extreme, so the, the, the problem with this question is that you cannot take an extreme position either on the one side or on the other. For example, if we take an extreme standpoint and, and uh, reject the, the whole notion of cloning and genetic modification, saying that this is absolutely wrong. That is an extreme because there could be powerful medical potential for, uh, you know, for, the, for the benefit of human beings. But on the other hand, if we were to then say, yes, we should allow this, and then allow it totally unregulated and un kind of, you know, uh, unbrittled uh, um, um, pursuit of that, that can also lead to an extreme. So it's a very difficult I think so this is not really dodging the issue. Oh. Right. I think actually uh, right and wrong itself from the Buddhist viewpoint is relative. There's no absolute right and wrong. Oh. So therefore, we have to judge these things compared with something, something, something. So under certain circumstances, uh, generally we consider wrong. But under particular circumstances, could be right. And generally, we consider something right. But under particular circumstances, may become wrong. So these things, we have to judge, as I mentioned earlier, it's a holistic view. So really, this issue such as this genetic modification and cloning should be really placed within the wider context of many other related issues and then try to have a much more uh, holistic... So similarly, uh, you have issues of euthanasia, uh, abortion. These are very complicated issues that need to be looked at in the context of a much bigger picture. And I think mainly, I think case to case, we have to judge, case to case, under because of full consideration all the related things, then make the decision right. I think like that. Very difficult to generalize. There were also a series of questions about uh, Buddhism, people trying to understand the tradition better, and some, uh, one of the questions was, is Buddhism a religion or simply a life philosophy, and how can it be a religion if it does not have a belief in God? I think Buddhism, usually I describe uh, one group, mainly I think the theistic religion, the standard sort of faith is God. Creator. Uh, creator. A creator. 
uh, then another, uh, I think, the uh, radical materialism. Even sometimes with the uh, acceptance of existence of mind, subtle mind, so you can you mean Paul Hinsworth saying that sometimes he talks about Buddhism in the context of two groups. One is the theistic religions on the one hand, and the other is radical atheists, even some of whom may uh, question the existence of, you know, even the notion of consciousness. Uh, uh, so the Buddhism, I think, between there. Uh, uh, one way, of course, Buddhism accepts uh, deeper spiritual experiences, spiritual sort of, uh, what's it, the values, uh, and some deeper, what's it, the concept about uh, cessations, right, suffering cessations, uh, nirvana, or salvation, like that. Uh, and then meantime, b much based on human human level. So therefore, some people describe Buddhism is a kind of humanism, and also some some say Buddhism is uh, nothing but science of mind. I to some extent that's true. And then another thing, take care of Kongsi Sheswan, Senju Dwarchat, take care of Sheswan. Now, I think last uh, more than two decades, the dialogue or, or discussion, uh, scientists, and at the initial stage, myself, mainly my personal sort of curiosity, that's the main reason. Then eventually, more Buddhist scholars join. Uh, now, as the president has mentioned, we already introduced uh, lessons of science, now introduced into uh, some of the monastic institutions to selected students. Uh, so now this, uh, I think, more precise, actually, the dialogue uh, take place uh, this way. Usually, I divided Buddhism three parts. One, Buddhist science. Uh, second, some Buddhist as well. Buddhist philosophy. Uh, third, Buddhist spirituality, including rituals, these things, or mantras, or uh, uh, chanting, these things, prayers, these things. So, the field where uh, we carry some uh, discussion or dialogue with science, only this field, not Buddhist philosophy, not Buddhist sort of uh, spirituality, but Buddhist science. Within Buddhist science, the matters and mind. Uh, so the matter is concerned modern scientific sort of knowledge much deeper, much sort of, uh, much advanced than Buddhist, Buddhist sort of science, external science, matters. 
So, very useful to learn from uh, scientific sort of findings, scientific research further. Uh, uh, for example, the cosmology. Uh, one great uh, Buddhist master, uh, he mentioned about the uh, detailed explanation about uh, world. Mount Meru and the, the different uh, things and the size of moons and uh, sun and distance. Now these prove, prove wrong. Oh, completely wrong. So therefore, now uh, uh, as a, a student of Nalanda tradition, we have the liberty to check what script, what scriptural uh, text state. In fact, the tradition exists in um, the Buddhist um, uh, tradition in Nepal. For example, the second century Nagarjuna has developed the hermeneutic of even subjecting the Buddha's own words and dividing, bet uh, 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 differentiating between what can be taken at face value what cannot be taken at face value and must be recognized as provisional. So similarly, the Buddhists have the liberty to reject those uh, claims in the text that are directly contradicted by empirical evidence. So therefore, uh, one text which we learned, we both is learned by heart uh, on Abhidharma, the or what English? title can be translated as Treasury of Higher Knowledge. Mm. Uh, so, uh, this book, the third chapter, describes about world, cosmology. So, which is disgrace. So, therefore, uh, uh, I, uh, well, firstly, I think we learn by heart is in the, this chapter, including this chapter. So, that's, I think, wasteful. <laughs> then, secondly, I, uh, I often is it because I tell my audience the this book sort of great author Basubandh, I think which century? Fourth century. So great sort of master. Of course, his his writing is some other books still valuable. So is at least this particular book which is disgraced by 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 itself about the cosmology. Now, that part, if this great author reappear in 21st century, now today, uh, he will, he have to rewrite. <laughs> so, so like that, the, the including cosmology or the Buddhist particle, although Buddhism, Buddhist science touch these topics quite Karada. Uh, quite detailed, particularly like particle. Uh, so, so therefore, the, uh, still, uh, the modern science much more advanced in this field. Uh, 
then as far as Buddhist science of mind is concerned, I think Buddhist explanation uh, is very widespread. And also some experiences there. So some modern scientists in the field of mind or emotion or these things, and now they find some useful Buddhist sort of uh, way of looking in, in, in this uh, field. So therefore, now more than two decades sort of our meeting now become quite clear that this sort of dialogue is mutual benefit. So this, this, this sort of contact care continuously. Like that. So therefore, taking a step at Buddhism So therefore, I think Buddhism as a whole may be combination of uh, science, uh, philosophy, or concept, and then uh, religion, something combined. Your Holiness, I'm very sorry that our time is up, and we are deeply honored by having you here and having you with us. And I, my thanks to the audience as well for your coming and your participation. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.